Greetings and salutations to you all. This is Dee Dee Moonflyer. Welcome to Twilight Tonic, your weekly voyage to points distant and parts unknown. We'll discuss all things paranormal, spiritual, weird, and wonderful. So if you're ready, grab your favorite tonic, your best comfy chair, and let's begin. Twilight Tonic, as always, I have the most amazing guest. I love this guy. He has over 73 books he's written or been involved with. He was involved doing comic books in 2006. He took a turn to the paranormal and has done tons of stuff in it. Recently, he was involved with Tom Swartz with Mimics Among Us, but he is also the founder of Halo Paranormal Investigations. And he's been an actor and a dancer, which I respect, of course. Welcome, Paul Dale Roberts. <laughs> How are you tonight, Paul? Hi, Dee Dee. I'm doing fine. How's everything over in Ohio? It is stormy. Very, oh very stormy gosh. here. And it's, and it's hot over here. Oh, how hot yes, is it, it there in California yeah. now? It's 105. Oh, is that dry heat or humid? Dry heat, thank goodness. Oh, oh my goodness. Man, do you have an air conditioner, Paul? <laughs> yeah, I love the air conditioner. Oh, my God. Wow. Any Any chance of rain soon? No, no, not till probably October. But like, I, I feel sorry for my dogs because I have to get up early in the morning to walk them. Mm -hmm. And I have to do this in the morning because in the afternoon it's scorching heat and you really can't walk them because they'll burn their paws mm -hmm. and it's just too hot. And they right. and I look at them, I go, it's hot, it's hot. I can't take you out there. And they look sad, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. So when the sun goes down, I will walk them again. Yeah. Oh, wow. I can't imagine. Yeah. See, when I picture California, I picture the beach. You know, I don't picture all those other places because we don't right. really see those places as much. And there's also places oh, in yeah. California that keep really cool, isn't there? Oh yeah, I, any anywhere by the ocean mm -hmm. usually is cool. Ooh. How far are you from the ocean? Uh, about two and a half hours oh, away. I'd be making a yeah. trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where's Dee Dee mm, at the ocean collecting seashells? <laughs> and that would be me. Oh my god. Dale, you're fascinating because you've done so much work. When did you start actually doing books? In the oh, paranormal? books. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, 2006, I became a paranormal investigator. Mm -hmm. My very first book 
that came out was probably, um, I would say 2010. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was my very first book. And I've got something like 73 books out there. Yeah. Uh, my most latest book is a book called, uh, the title is Sacramento Paranormal Investigations. Mm-hmm. And that was actually the title. And then it has a subtitle to it. But yeah, um, uh, in fact, if you go into Google Books and type in Paul Dale Roberts, mm-hmm. you'll actually see a list of my books in yeah. Google Books. I lo- I was overwhelmed. I was like, that is one busy man in the paranormal. <laughs> I do try to stay busy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, re- uh, writing articles. And it's really nice because I... Um, I also, too, I work for Phenomenon Magazine out, yeah. of, out of the UK, uh, Costa Rica Times, mm-hmm. uh, Paranormal Underground Magazine, and Outer Limits Magazine, which just recently picked me up. That is awesome. Those, those magazines, by the mm-hmm. way, folks, are amazing. Oh, they are. They absolutely them. are. Great stories in there. Yes. I mean, if you're into the paranormal, you've got to get a subscription to at least one of those. Yeah. They're pretty awesome, and I highly recommend them. So have you been to the British Isles, Paul? Oh, yes, yes. I've been to England. I've been to Scotland, Uh, Edinburgh, Scotland, uh, Cardiff, Wales. Uh, I've been to Ireland. I've been to Northern Ireland uh, in Nuri. And when I was in England, uh, I went to Stonehenge, mm. I went to Piccadilly Square, I went to uh, Westminster Abbey, I went into the East End where Jack mm. the Ripper, they showed us where the victims were murdered, oh. and um, the uh, Cray twins were also too at East End mm-hmm. of London. And talk about being haunted, it is very, very haunted. So, yeah, yeah. So it was it was a very good experience visiting London. Oh, wow. Did you have a lot of experiences while you were there? Um, I'm not psychic, so I didn't really have any experiences except maybe at the Tower of London. It felt uh, you get a feeling of dread mm. as you walk in there because there was so much torture, suicides, murder. In right. inside the Tower of London was a very, very horrific place to be at. Wow. And now at the Tower, don't they have crows that somebody is assigned to, yeah. to take care of them? Yes, yes, yes. And the, the crows, dis, if the story, if I remember right, if, if the crows disappeared or something like that, they were in trouble. It was like a, almost like a the end of the earth or end of the world or whatever. Yeah. I want their job. (laughs) (laughs) I want to take care of the crows. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. So can you briefly explain what the paranormal means to you, Paul? Uh, It's anything outside of natural reasoning and thought um, is something where you can't explain. You've, you've crossed out everything that, you know, was a natural phenomenon 
to try to explain it. You know, it wasn't a raccoon on the roof. It wasn't uh, an owl climbing and tapping on the windows. It was something else, you know. It was something beyond natural. It was supernatural. Mm-hmm. So with your experiences, can you share the most compelling moment when you realized, well, wow. Oh, that was probably a case over in Citrus Heights. And uh, we investigated this house. In fact, I was a new paranormal investigator with Halo Paranormal Investigations. And for a while there, the only thing we were getting was EVPs and stuff like that. And EVPs, electronic voice phenomenon. And I was thinking to myself, that could be voices from another room. Mm -hmm. It doesn't actually have to be paranormal. So, um, but we went to this house in Citrus Heights and I had 15 scouts and that's paranormal investigators in training. And I put five in one room, five in another room, five in another room. And as I entered one room, five of the investigators were like practically falling asleep because nothing was happening. I went into the next room. Again, they're almost ready to fall asleep. Nothing was happening. I go into the last room and all kinds of things were happening. Um, you can hear a little girl giggling. And at the corner of the bed, that was where the sound was coming from. And I was pointing towards the corner of the bed and I said, you can hear the girl giggling and she must be sitting at the corner of this bed, but I can't see her. And I put my head down and I go, hello. And she said right back to me, hello. I go, oh my God. I said, okay, well, let's get, let's get all 15 people in here. Let's do a seance. So we got all 15 scouts in there. We started doing the seance and the walls started to sound like they were ripping apart. There was pounding on the walls and all 15 people are running out the door. And I said, oh, my God, I got to get them back in here. This is a breakthrough. There's, you know, all this mm-hmm. stuff is happening. So I got them all back in there. We had three walkie-talkies on the floor. And they were all on the same channel. And then all of a sudden, on one walkie-talkie, there was a man's voice. And he goes, get out. And all 15 running out the door again finally the occupant she looks at me and she goes paul she goes i have to live here we we need to probably stop doing this i said okay i'll send them all home she goes i'll tell you what you're welcome to spend the night in that bedroom i go really okay i was all excited i go okay great so i sent everybody home we had the cameras rolling in that bedroom Mm -hmm. And as I was sleeping, there was like a little tap on the, the, the headboard. There was a woman saying, Paul, Paul, Paul. There was a man mumbling, and there was a child moaning at the foot of the bed. And mm-hmm. I slept through the whole thing. But they caught it on video. And um, the house was built over a Japanese internment camp. 
And the previous owners, a man and a woman, the woman died in the house. So the house was extremely, extremely haunted. Wow. So do you think it was the woman that died in the house that was saying your name? Um, I think, well, you know, with the child moaning at the foot of the bed. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it has something to do with the Japanese internment yeah. camp because people died there. The woman saying Paul, 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 that could have been the woman that once lived there that died in the house because she said it in pretty good English. And she didn't have a Japanese accent, you know, it was, you know, so very, very well could be that woman who passed away in that house. Wow. I mean, did the child have an accent? Uh, it was just moaning. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, like if you had an upset stomach or something. Yeah. Yes. yeah. That's really yeah. sad because, you know, people don't talk a lot about that in history. You don't hear right. a lot about that. And a lot of them had been in America for years. Mm-hmm. You know, and you you find out all this information. It makes you sit back and go, "Oh, <laughs> wow! <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, really? Yeah. That happened, didn't it? Yes, it did." Oh yeah, and we had a lot of cases up in Citrus Heights where the Japanese internment camp was of homes that are haunted. So we've done something like almost seven cases in Citrus Heights because of that Japanese internment camp. Really? Mm-hmm. That's to me, that's fascinating. Like I can't even imagine. So the energy must be very different in these places. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And the people that lived in that house, um, I, I, I asked them if they wanted some type of blessing or something. And they said, no, you know, we can handle it. And the uh, lady that lived there, she has psychic abilities and she goes, I'm used to my ghosts. And she goes, no, I'm fine. Mm. She goes, I just want you to experience it. And that's what I did. I experienced it. Wow. You know, that's really because I grew up around this stuff as a little kid. And my mom would often just leave it. Literally, if something would happen, she'd be like, Mm -hmm. well, as long as they're not hurting anything, everything's fine. It's just part of, she'd call it part of nature. Yeah. But I remember one time we lived in a place when I grew up was Miamisburg, Ohio. And in Miamisburg, they have a mound. And the mound is Native Indian grounds. And I can remember there was a lot of activity where I lived. And I, I was 16. And it was so funny, Paul. We were talking about something. I think I wanted to go out, <laughs> you know, when you're 16. And me and my mom were discussing it. And all of a sudden, a book from the bookcase lifted up, suspended, opened up, and fell to the floor. Wow. Now, all through my childhood, I'd seen things very similar. But at 16, when you least expect something like that, 
I thought mm-hmm. me and my mom were going to pee ourselves. <laughs> we were like, we just stopped our conversation. And I looked at her after it happened and go, I'm going to stay in tonight. <laughs> She's <laughs> like, okay. And she quickly, she panicked. And even though she was used to activity, she picked up the book, shut it, put it back in the bookcase and just looked at it. And when we both looked at it, it was the Bible. Oh, my God. And she goes, I should have looked. And she was so mad at herself for weeks. Why didn't I look? Why didn't I look? And she was very open about everything. So we had every religion in our house. She was a pretty incredible lady. Wow. And tons of Edgar Casey books. She loved Edgar Casey. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when you... When you said you had childhood experiences, or you started as your as a child, were your parents open like that? No. Um, well, maybe my mother, because she believed she was psychic. Um, she would have various type of dreams and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. uh, she would make predictions. Wow. And I would say. Be honest with you, she was like eighty percent wrong. <laughs> no, but she. It's <laughs> awesome. Oh my god! But uh, she thought she was psychic, you know. So she was, yeah, pretty much open to the idea. My father was a big skeptic, so he didn't believe in nothing. Oh wow! So, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. They were so opposite. So did she go to like places to have readings and stuff? Uh, Not that I know of. Um, I never saw her do that. But she she would go past the place and she'll go, oh my God, that house right there is haunted. Blah, blah, blah. And, And it would be one of our neighbor's house. And, and then as a curious little kid, I would go by the the neighbor's house and and I would actually ask them if their house was on it. And they would go, no. Who told you that? No. <laughs> Your poor neighbors, especially especially yeah. during that time period, they'd probably be like, what? <laughs> and I knew when I grew up in the 80s, it was so funny because... In, I was a little kid in the 70s, so I just aged myself. Definitely Generation X are here. But my mm. mom would go to all kinds of meetings to do with like meditation, um, communication with the dead, automatic writing, all of that stuff. And my neighbors would think she was just cray-cray. <laughs> they were mm. like, really? You do that on Wednesday nights? <laughs> you know? She's like, yeah. So it's pretty incredible. But my mom loved that stuff, just like your mom. So that's incredible. Mm -hmm. So, Paul, out of curiosity, do you use equipment when you go on investigations? And if so, what ones can you tell my audience which ones you do like to use when you use it? Um, Yeah, we, I have, a lot of investigators, so they bring their own equipment. And so we we have almost everything um, that you can possibly want to use, you know, your spirit box and and, and the little uh, stick figures that you pick up on and you see yeah. on ghost adventures and stuff like that. 
But the only thing I find as true evidence um, is an uh, anomaly captured on a photograph mm. uh, or or an EVP, a disembodied voice. And the reason why I say that is because, like, one time I was parked at a cemetery mm-hmm. and my windows were completely rolled up. There was nobody in my car. And I said, is there anyone here? And it sounded like from the back seat of my car, and I picked it, picked it up on my recorder, and it says, I'm right here. Oh. To me, that is solid evidence. There's nobody around me, but yet I get a disembodied voice inside my car with the windows rolled up. That's like the best evidence ever. And then we did a case in Galt, California. Mm-hmm. And I take a photograph of in front of the house. And right in front of the house is a ghostly cowboy with a cowboy hat sitting on a ghostly horse. That photograph was on my ghost story on the biography channel. To me, that is solid, solid evidence. Uh, you can't beat that with a stick. In, and in, you, if you show me a screen with the little stick figures, oh, there's a stick figure right next to you. That mm-hmm. could be almost anything. That could be past residue energy from a past event. I, I, to me, that's not real evidence, but they mm-hmm. can use it as a good tool. It's just like if a psych tells me there's a ghost right there. Okay, well, let's let's get the investigators to prove it. Right. And like in one case I had in a, at this house, Emily, the ghost, was known to drain the energy off the occupants. Oh. So one of my investigators said, hey, uh, I, f- I feel like I'm ready to pass out. My energy is low, everything else. And I said, really? I said, okay. I said, Emily, if you're listening to me, Mm-hmm. I want you to sit on his lap. So we take a picture and there's an orb hovering over his lap. Wow. That showed me right there intelligent movement. So the next experiment I did, I said, Emily, if you're listening to me, kiss him on the lips. <sighs> and three of us take a picture and in our photographs, there's an orb on his lips. Hmm. And that, again, shows me intelligent movement. That is something I can actually deem as paranormal. You know, if you're, if you're um, telling me, oh, Paul, take a look at these stick figures. They appeared in the screen right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't deem that as paranormal. I can say, okay, there was some stick figures and they were moving around your body you know but i can't say that for sure was something paranormal you know but i can definitely like with the emily case i could say that's paranormal because it's listening to all of my commands and following them Mm -hmm. and we're getting evidence of it i got an evidence with that photograph of the the ghostly cowboy on the ghostly horse i mean you can't beat that i mean that's that's good evidence that's good solid evidence or in the cemetery 
Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Um, and there was another case though in Del Paso Heights. And you know, orbs can be almost anything. They could be skin flakes, it could be light refractions, it could be uh, 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 lint, dust, dewdrops, you name it. It could be almost anything. But in this one case, uh, I take a picture in the backyard of this house where there are some orange trees and the pictures that I got was two orbs, two designer orbs. And designer orbs are are those orbs with intricate type designs mm-hmm. inside. Right. And if you enhance it, sometimes you can see a face. Ooh. Well, I got two a, a picture of two designer orbs, and I enhanced it. And inside that orb, it looks like dog faces. Aww. So I asked, yeah, yeah. So oh, I asked, yeah. And here we are, animal lovers. You yes. know, we love that. Yeah. And so then I asked, you know, a couple of my investigators, I said, hey, what is it you see in these pictures? They said, we see two dogs. I go, really? Okay, okay, so do I. So I went back to the occupant and I said, hey, what is it you have in your backyard? And she goes, orange trees. I go, no, 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 not the orange trees. What else do you have in your backyard? She goes, um, I have two dogs buried back there. I go, okay, okay. Hmm. I said, bless her heart. And I said, take a look at these pictures and tell me what you see. So she takes a look at the pictures of the designer orbs and she starts crying. I go, why are you crying? She goes, I'm crying because those are my two dogs. I go, oh, my God. I said, something like that, again, I can deem as paranormal. She's telling me, I see dogs in in the photograph, and she sees her two dogs. She's able to identify them and tell me their names. Right. Yeah, so that to me is solid evidence. That's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for stick figures and sure. everything else and and spirit box and you know that picks up radio signals and and people say I heard it say I fell from the tree and then another person says I heard it said uh, I'm how tall are you what what you know <laughs> it's like you, what whatever they want to interpret you know from the spirit box is like okay I'm not hearing all this you know. Yes. And then uh, we even had uh, where the uh, it was a Michael Jackson tune came on real quick and he's saying, beat it. Mm-hmm. They're saying, oh, the ghost is telling us to beat it. No, Michael Jackson's telling you to beat it. <laughs> the ghost is not telling you to beat it. Oh, my God. You know, that spirit box drives me crazy. Plus, you know, all the noise that it makes. And yeah, everything it's else. very loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, they are. I agree. You want to hear a funny story, Paul? Sure, sure. I I think it's really funny. I used to teach dance, and I'd go back and forth to my current home, and I'd have to drive back, and it was in a rural part of Ohio. And I'd have to pass Greenville, and Greenville, Ohio's historical, and they have a big cemetery. And I'd drive past that cemetery, and one night I kept smelling cigarette smoke. And I don't smoke, by the way. My God, that's weird. It smells like someone is smoking in my car. Mm-hmm. 
I ignored it, and about 20 miles down, it dissipated. Okay. But I always had that creepy feeling, you know, where your hair stands up? Mm-hmm. So next week, I'm driving past the same area. Cigarette smoke. I'm like, huh. this is getting weird now. I'm mm-hmm. thinking to myself, someone's in my back seat, but I'm going to ignore it because I don't want it in here. Week three, same thing. I look in my Ruva mirror and it has like this funky kind of light in my back seat. And I'm like, I go, okay, now I have two hours to drive. <laughs> and uh-huh. I don't want you in my car. So I have to think of saying something. I said, you can ride in the car, but you're not allowed to smoke. Mm-hmm. Smoke, smell, it just disappears. Week four, same thing happens. I go, what did I tell you last week? You cannot smoke in my car. Smell disappears. So I'm like, that is a weird experience. That is weird. Yeah. They they wanted to be in my car for whatever reason. Oh, wow. And they wanted to have that cigarette smoke. So I'm assuming whatever was in my car probably died from cigarette smoking, actually. Oh, God. You know, um, that kind of reminds me. we did an investigation at the Ion Hotel in Ion, California. Mm-hmm. And at the Ion Hotel, there was a room where you would smell c- cigar smoke. Wow. And they said, oh, that's George. And George smoked cigars when he was alive. And he's just letting you know that he's around. And that's why you smell cigar smoke. hmm well, we have another. There was another room in there which was really interesting. Was room thirteen, and in room thirteen, there was a prostitute back in the eighteen hundreds named the Black Rose, mm-hmm. and she would have her intimate affairs in room thirteen. And one day, uh, a jealous lover that she had he wanted her to stop the prostituting but she wouldn't mm-hmm. and they got into a heated argument he winds up choking her and throwing her out the window and she died oh well in that room a black rose appeared on the wall mm-hmm. and they tried to erase it and they and they paint it over it, and the black rose will still reappear through the new paint. Interesting. Or af- after they washed it, it will reappear. They can't get rid of it, and that black rose just stays in room thirteen on the wall, and anybody can see it and look at it, whatever. Yeah, it's it's there. And and something like that, I, I can pretty much deem as paranormal. If I if they said, Hey Paul, go over there and wash that wall mm-hmm. and then repaint it and then I saw it come back again, that's something I would deem as paranormal. Yeah. That, that's really odd that that would happen. Yeah, the black rose. Yeah, the legend of the black rose. It's a sad story. It is a sad story. Because those women yeah. in those brothels had a really rough life, and they were really oh, young. Yeah. 
and they were just trying to survive. Yeah, people don't realize how hard they had it. And these were like little kids. Yeah. 11, 12, if not younger, some of them. That's really, that's really just sad. I'm very sad. Wow. So what do you, nowadays, you know, there's all kinds of shows and stuff. How do you think pop culture has portrayed or changed the paranormal in your eyes? Um, I mean, people watch it. I mean, I lived in a haunted house. So Mm -hmm. I was fascinated with paranormal because I wanted to know if I, what I experienced in that house was a childhood nightmares or did I really experience something paranormal? So that's how I got into the paranormal. But nowadays, kids, they watch these paranormal shows and stuff like that. And they think it's all fun and games. And they're really not seeking answers. And they're kind of going for the glory of it and stuff like that. Right. Um, yeah. And then a lot of the shows, okay, you know, I've done a lot of documentaries. Yes. And reality TV shows are not reality. Uh, I I hate to say that, but it's not. Um, I'm, I've been on various shows. Oh, if people want to see what shows I've been on, I, they can just type in Google Paul Dale Roberts IMDB, and you'll see about 37 shows I was involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to say any names or anything, but I've seen a lot of stuff that was wrong. Um, like one case, they actually, uh, like an EVP that I got, electronic voice phenomena I got from a residence, mm-hmm. that TV crew used that EVP and claimed it was theirs. What? So, yeah, so... Yeah. Oh so, yeah, they did that. Um, um, there was other things that are faked. So it's like, okay, mm. those, yeah, a lot of those shows, you know, there's because, okay, like every paranormal investigation we go to, things just don't happen, you know. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could be bored to death, and, and the house could be haunted, but you're not getting any kind of evidence, no kind of proof, anything. But you watch these shows, every single time something happens, they got some kind of proof and everything else. And a lot of that stuff is just made up and it's fake. And it's, it's to keep the viewers going. The producers push it. They'll go, um, hey, Paul. Make something happen. You know, it's like, what? (laughs) Make something happen, Paul. Yeah. It's like, okay. You know, it's all for TV, you know. So, yeah, it's very disappointing. You know, I think it's really weird. And in some ways, it's brought the paranormal. So when people do have experiences or abilities, they can talk about it more freely. Right. The other side of it is it has brought out some nastiness in some people too. And oh, it's, yeah. it's really yeah. sad. It's like mm-hmm. 
most of the people I know that are podcasters or involved or do investigations, they're kind people because they're doing and they're looking and they're wanting answers to like, for instance, your childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. And we're seeking these these answers. And I think everybody's on the same boat with that for the most right. part. And, and Didi, you know, I've been on something like 2,500 paranormal investigation cases. Mm-hmm. 2,500, that's a lot. Yes. And out of 2,500, I've only seen four full body apparitions. Wow. So that tells you right there. That's a rarity. But you watch some of these TV shows, they're seeing full body apparitions here and there and everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just doesn't happen that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's very rare. And just like the House of Citrus Heights, I keep on hoping that I will find another house just as active as that house. And I really haven't. You know, I sure I'll get an EVP here and there, you know, but uh, the activity level, like in that one house, I haven't seen it. And I've been on so many investigations and, you know, I'm lucky to get an EVP here and there and and say, okay, well, I got an EVP, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, it's really interesting. Even... Even with my mom and stuff, the experiences I had throughout my life, mm-hmm. I remember them so much because they don't happen every day. Right. And that's the weird thing. Like I, I had a, I've had a lot happen to me, but they stand out so much because I don't wake up every morning and be like, oh, well, hi, go, you know, it, that doesn't happen. And when it does happen, it's really strong. Right, right. And it kind of kicks you back because you're like, oh, what in the world? You know? Yeah. Now, you're psychic, though, right? I have odd abilities, and I think they happened as a child because I was extremely dyslexic. Mm -hmm. And it's weird because I really believe my dyslexia helped me for survival purposes. When I was a little girl, um, I, I, I knew I couldn't spell at all until I was in the third grade. And I had to be able to feel things around me because I didn't have what other kids had. And with my mom accepting everything, I could see apparitions. I could feel them and talk to them as a little kid, see things, um, sometimes really sad things. And I, as I got older, I got, I tried to push it away and I pushed it away for, cause I was a professional dancer and that took all my time. So the experiences I had between childhood and, and being a professional dancer really stood out because they were so strong. But as a little kid, I saw things all the time. And I think it was because I was dyslexic and I had to develop a sense of feeling other people's emotions and feelings and how to get around things. And I think for some odd reason, it develops certain abilities. 
And I know that sounds really weird. That's my only explanation. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's a good explanation. And also, too, Didi, I, uh, I'm going to change the subject a little bit. You were a professional dancer, and so was I. We I both have something in common. And uh, tell me, uh, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. uh, where were you dancing at? What kind of dancing were you doing? Oh, my gosh. it's hell- Are you ready for this one? I yeah, started, yeah, yeah, yeah. I started out as a ballerina. I loved, loved ballet as a really oh, okay, tiny okay. child. And my parents didn't have the money to support that. So my ballet teacher at the time... It was actually a dance company in Dayton, and her name was Josephine Swartz, and she founded the Dayton Mm -hmm. Ballet, and she told my dad, you know, she needs two lessons to get a scholarship. They can only afford one, and not to mention Mm -hmm. the Toshis, so I had to be, I quit. And Mm -hmm. at 14, I saw a show, Lucy, National Geographic, of a belly dancer, And oh my gosh, I fell over at the music and the people. I was like, I know that. I've I've got to learn that. And at 14, I looked everywhere for belly dance lessons and I found someone. And I took it for about 10 years before I said I was a professional. So I was 14 when I started. And I was in my 20s when I started dancing professionally. And I did it for 30 years. I traveled um, on and off for four years in Turkey, performing and teaching. Wow. And in I'd, Turkey? Mm-hmm, yeah. Wow. And then yes. after that, I just performed everywhere in like Ohio. I would taught at a college, Middle Eastern dance and culture. And I had a modern dance company. I fused the two. So I was involved in a lot of things. And then before I retired, I met up with some dancers that I just, I loved a lot of my dancers and we performed in Twisted Cabaret, which did a lot of fundraisers for things. So hmm. so tell people about your dancing, because this is great. Oh, my God. Well, that's interesting, Diddy. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, one thing is my stepmother, Cindy Anderson, mm-hmm. she was in ballet, and she used to perform on some type of show in New York. Wow. Um, I. I got into dancing because it's, it's kind of weird, but from 73 to 76, I worked as an undercover military policeman for the drug suppression team, CID, Criminal Investigation Division in Germany. That's so cool. And I used to go to, <laughs> yeah, I used to go to all these discotheques. And and at these discotheques, um, I learned how to dance. I was watching people and everything else. And when I got out in 1976, disco really hit it big out here. And so I just, uh, you know, all the moves that I learned in Germany, I said, okay, well, let me go ahead and enter a couple dance contests. And it seems like I win. Uh, Or either that I come in second place or third place, whatever. So cool. Yeah, and then that. this, <laughs> and then this will this DJ named Bill Lawley. He goes, Paul, you're always in the nightclubs. You got so much energy. Why don't you do? Why don't you do a marathon dance? Mm-hmm. And I go, Yeah, okay, for the Guinness Book of World Records. He goes, Yeah, let's do it. I said, Okay, I'm gonna dance uh, seventy nine hours. Oh my and god. There was, 
<laughs> yeah, there was no di- there was no disco record for 79 hours uh-huh. in the Guinness Book of World Records. So I danced 79 hours. A lot of paparazzi showed up and they took pictures on my 79th hour. I, everybody thought I had the Guinness Book of World Records and Guinness told me, and they said, no, Paul, you don't have it. I go, why? They go, because you took too long breaks. You took 15-minute breaks on every hour. You're supposed to take five-minute breaks on every hour. Uh, I go, oh, man. So anyway, <laughs> later on, you know, the newspapers, they got a hold of it. Mm-hmm. And they said, Paula, are you going to go ahead and try to break the record? Mm-hmm. And um, they said, some guy now has the world's record with 183 hours. Can you beat them? And I said, yeah, I'm going to go for 205 hours. Oh, my God. Eight and a half days. And, Didi, I did it. What? I had a five, yes, I had a five-minute break. Yeah, you can look it up. There's a Google Paul Dale Roberts Disco, and you'll see me, you'll see the picture, well, the drawing of it in Ripley's Believe It or Not. It's in Ripley's Believe It or Not. And I had the Guinness Book Roll Records for a short period of time for dancing eight and a half days. I had a five-minute break on every hour. I ate while I was dancing. Um, if I was going to urinate, I had witnesses watch me as I moved my feet while I was urinating. Oh my God. And if I had to do anything else, like a number two or something like that, I had to do it on that five-minute break. Yeah, so, yeah, so eight and a half days, world record disco champion. <laughs> oh I was the disco, disco king of Sacramento two times. Uh, for doing the 79 hours and doing the 205 hours. How, and I was featured in Ripley's Believe It or Not. How did you, I, I bet you were so sleep deprived. I bet you slept for two days. <laughs> um, I had a news interview the very next day after doing 205 hours uh, at eight o'clock in the morning. And I managed to show up and I was there for the interview. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. See, you yeah. lived my fantasy as a little girl. I used to watch the Solid Gold Dancers. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I wanted to be the chick with the long braids. Oh, my God. And you know what? <laughs> you know what? It, uh, also, too, during my disco career, you know, I would perform at different discos and stuff uh-huh. like that. But I got to meet Wolfman Jack. Mm-hmm. I got to meet Monty Rock the Third. He was the DJ in mm-hmm. Saturday Night Fever. Yes. And when I saw the movie Saturday Night Fever, it inspired me. And I watched that movie and I said, I'm going to be the disco king of Sacramento. And there was five disco kings. And I was the third and fifth disco king. And the other disco kings, they did other things like... uh the fourth disco king, he danced on top of a bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, another disco king tried to do a marathon. And after 80 hours, he fell flat in his face. Oh, my gosh. Went into, con- <laughs> went into convulsions. <laughs> but what? he, yeah, but I, I did 79 hours and then he tried to beat me. And he did. Well, he did 80 hours 
but he didn't get the world's record because there was that guy who did 183 hours. So, um, yeah, and and oh, and there was people who were trying to do the world's record with me, and some girl named Kathy Kleiber, her her legs swelled up like elephant legs what? and she went into, she went into convulsions. They had an emergency crew there that would take them away. Um, yeah. Another one passed out. Yeah. And then they go, Paul, what are you going to stop the marathon so you can help them? I said, I, I hate to be like this, but I said, my purpose was to get the Guinness book world records I'm doing this as a fundraiser for Easter Seal, so I'm generating money. I did not tell them to do the marathon. They they chose to do that, and so and they knew what the consequences were that you could pass out, you mm-hmm. could go into sure, convulsions yeah. and stuff. So I said, no, I'm going to continue on with this marathon. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. my my and brother's gonna was, love listening to you because he used to love to disco dance. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, you you can see all my disco stuff just by googling Paul Dale Roberts disco, and you'll see all kinds of stuff. You know, is there films I of do. you dancing? Um, some of the news agencies uh, <laughs> probably have it archived. You know, but there's a lot of pictures. You know, so Man, I'd love to yeah. see it. I'd love to see it live. That is so cool. Oh yeah, that is so <clears throat> awesome. And that happened in 1979. Oh my gosh! Yeah. You know, when I look back on all of that, I remember all the TV shows. They were cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a different time, but it was cool. And oh, then yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember when MTV came out. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. My mom would be like, "Are you still watching that?" <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh my god. Oh lord. Out of curiosity, with all of now that everyone knows what we've done in our past. <laughs> yeah. How do you think the paranormal is going to change in the next few years? Do you think we're going to find answers to alien life? I think we're very we're coming very close to disclosure. Yeah, I do too. Um, yeah, I think it's really starting to happen um, because you've got all these private organizations that are sending rockets to the moon and to Mars. They're talking about you know building a colony on Mars, and all of this stuff is going to be exposed when they mm-hmm. start getting over to the moon. They're going to go. Oh, look at these artifacts. These artifacts are artificial. An intelligent race created them, you know. So it's it's getting so close. NASA knows it's getting close. That's why they're having all these government officials meeting on UFOs and everything else because they're preparing us for disclosure. There's going to be a day that they step out and say, yeah, we're not alone. Yeah, you know, they've always been here. They've been here since the beginning of time. You know, and it's interesting because you were also involved with with um, Tim Schwartz on Mimics Among Us, mm-hmm. and you're the one that 
also talked about um, aliens in California. Mm -hmm. And that was fascinating. Um, Supposedly, they mimic us. And people see them or know that there are mimics out there. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel about that? Have you... Have you actually ran into anything like that, Paul? Um, personally, um, there was a situation where I had a ghost that was mimicking my mother and was trying to entice me to go into the Orange Grove, Orange Grove, mm-hmm. and was saying, "Dale, come here, Dale, come mm-hmm. here." And if it was trying to entice me to go in there, and if I did go in there, what would have happened to me? I know my mother was in the kitchen, so it wasn't oh, wow. her voice coming from the orange grove. So, but yeah, um, as for mimics, let's say for the extraterrestrial type mimics or interdimensional type mimics, mm-hmm. uh, the mimics that make you disappear, there are so many people who disappear Yeah, uh, right here about over in Mount Chasta. Where do they go to? What was the purpose of their disappearance? Who took them? You know, so, yeah, I mean, there was one case over Mount Chester where there was three hikers and they're hiking in one line. So I could see the person in front of me mm-hmm. and he's only maybe a hundred yards away from me. And then I look around, I'm looking at something else, and I look back, and he's gone. And there's nothing but snow. Where did he go? You know, did mm-hmm. the mountain somehow swallow him up, or did, was he beamed up into the sky? Wow. Something happened to him. And, and, and then you had something like, uh, uh, since 1972, I think you had 160 thousand mm-hmm. people gone missing in the Alaskan Triangle. Yeah. Where did all those people go? I see. You know? That just like yeah. gives me chills just thinking about it. Where are they? Yeah. Are they still alive? Because that's a lot of people. Yeah. And, and and there's not that much news about it. You know, oh, there's a missing hiker. Okay, that's it? You know? Mm-hmm. You you never found them, you know, and you have all these people going missing. And then there's so many people going missing in national parks. So what's yes. going on with that? Yeah. And I wonder if it's always been like that or if this is something, if it's just more, if it's captured our attention more because of social media and the news but I find that really odd. It's you hear more and more stories about people that just disappear, and they don't know why, mm-hmm. and they never found. Yeah. And they're never found. Yeah, and I think there's been a couple cases. I think it's Lon Strickland has a story in one of his books that was fascinating, where the lady was having a lot of problems, and she she looked for help. And she was taken. Like her mom witnessed her being taken. And it's just, it's kind of frightening. Like, where are they going? What are they doing? Mm-hmm. Are they brought to safety? Are they, what? That just fascinates me. And it scares and me was, at the same time. 
And there was that one child who was taken over in Mount Shasta, but then he was returned. And they asked him, they said, where did you go? He goes, um, I was with my grandmother. Well, his grandmother's like three states away. So it couldn't have been his grandmother. And they said, okay, well, tell us about your grandmother. And he goes, well, she was like a robot. So this thing was mimicking the grandmother, mm-hmm. looked like the grandmother, but moved and talked like a robot. Wow. So it was probably actually an extraterrestrial type robot that went into his mind. Well, okay, there was that. That just makes me uh, think there was that case in South America. And I can't think of the guy's name, but he was a farmer. He was abducted and supposedly had sex with an alien. And the alien came in and he was grossed out. Mm -hmm. And so the alien walked back out and came back in and looked like this beautiful woman. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah, and then he wound up being intimate with her. Well, when he was returned, later on, he saw a picture in a magazine of a woman that it was the same woman that he was intimate with on the spaceship. That alien went into his mind and pulled out this model and appeared did a mimic appeared as this beautiful woman that he desired so he could be intimate with her yeah yes so that was yeah and that was that was a famous case in south america i can't think of the guy's name right now but very famous case you know i hear of other people that have talked to talked to and interviewed say the same thing that they always are presented with a beautiful woman or a woman they would Mm -hmm. find attractive which Mm -hmm. is really odd and kind of scary yes yes very scary i mean if things can mimic and you said you Mm. were being called to the orange grove i wonder how many other people have thought they heard their kids their mother a relative call their name and they go into the woods and they're never to be seen again yeah, and for this ghost, it was or the entity or whatever it was, it was going, Dale, come here, mm-hmm. Dale, come here. And then Dale's my middle name, and it's like, well, it sounds like my mom being nice to me, trying to get me into the orange grove, right. but she's in the kitchen cooking. So how can that be her? Mm-hmm. You know, that was weird. What would have happened to me if I went into that orange grove at that point of time? I don't, you know, and it's, you know, when people tell you when they wake up, when they're between awake and asleep and they hear their names being called? Yes, yes. That's really fascinating to me, too. And I wonder, because you're so open between that wake time and sleep. If that's when they can communicate the best, whatever and whoever they are. Because it's always a voice that you recognize when I talk to people. Mm. It's their mom, like you said, the mom, Mm. the dad, Mm. 
you know, and they always like, I know, and that's happened to most everybody I know. And I know um, when I was young, I would hear my mom say, Nisi, and Nisi, and nobody calls me Nisi, but my mom. And it would, it sound just like her voice, but it was always between the waking time and kind of twilight, you know, kind of that early, early morning time. Mm-hmm. When you're open, it was always outside of the window. And when I talk to people, a lot of people will tell me those experiences. Now, when you mm-hmm. had yours, yours, yours was before dinner, and those are more, I think, more rare. Yeah, which is really weird. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you know, I I never consider myself as a psychic or anything like that, but I just wrote an article today, in fact, <laughs> and it's posted on my Facebook timeline, but it's called The Spirit of Steve Skeets. Mm -hmm. And I used to be in the comic book business, and Steve Skeets was a legend. He was actually an uh, an assistant editor for Marvel Comics with Stan Lee. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he became an editor of my newsletter called the People's Comic Book Newsletter um, later on in life. I mean, so he... From being the editor over at Marvel Comics and then being an editor to my little um, newsletter, that's, you know, to me is like, wow. Yeah. You know, I got this legend working on my staff. But anyway, I had this dream last night. It was almost like a vision of Steve Skeets. I was in a comic book library. There was comic books all over the place. Mm-hmm. And Steve was sitting there. And he's looking through one of the newsletters and he's and he says something like, we had some fun doing this or whatever. And it was a small conversation and he excused himself and he says, I got to go. And then he sort of like vanishes. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so about four o'clock in the morning, I wake up. And I go, wow, what an incredible dream that was. And so I got up, I turned on my computer. And I looked at Steve Skeet's Wikipedia page and come to find out he died. He died this year in March. Wow. It was like, was Steve Skeet's, was he actually trying to communicate with me through my dream? Yeah. My vision? Dream working. It's like, yeah, that was so bizarre. And so I wrote an article about it today. And you can actually see it posted on my Facebook timeline. Yeah, it was. I was just dumbfounded. I was like, "Wow, was I actually contacted by Steve Skeets?" I bet you that were. was just. Yeah, that's just so amazing. Yeah. So my yes, mind. I mean, you worked blown. with him. That would that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I know he wrote. And I know he really enjoyed the newsletter. You know, here's this big time guy working for my small time company. You know, it was like, yeah. wow, this is this is incredible. Yeah, but he, he had a good time doing it. It always feels good when a legend loves you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. And that was his way yeah. of saying, hey, Paul, I acknowledge you. Thank you. Yeah, that was just totally, yeah, a total mind blower. I think it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I love dreams because dreams sometimes show you and give you answers where you don't typically get them. 
Right. I love dream working. I love that. Mm. So, Paul, tell me what's next on your plate. Um, well, we got a big UFO ghost hunt <gasps> coming up. Yeah, October 14th, Saturday. Oh. And it's an all-night event. The house where we're going to be sitting at, there's a lot of open field out there. And right next to her house is a, a creek. It's called Bannon Creek. Mm-hmm. And Bannon Creek is very haunted. We actually did an investigation there. And the reason why it's haunted is because the homeless used to have camps through there. Oh. And the, there was homeless people who died at Bannon Creek. Oh, wow. So so the people who likes, like to ghost hunt, they're going to have a blast because Bannon Creek is very haunted. And then we're going to be looking at the night sky all night long and seeing if we can pick up on UFOs. So people are bringing binoculars, telescopes, <laughs> laser lights, the night vision cameras, I mean, you're going to have everything out there. That's awesome. Yeah. And there's a lot of people signing up for it. It's a free event. I said it's going to be like a potluck. You can bring food and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's going to be a blast. I'm so jealous. I don't live in California right now. (laughs) I'm so envious. I'm like, that sounds like fun. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun, and we'll and usually when we do a UFO event, the local news comes by, and they'll f- interview some of the people. We'll have oh, oh we'll also to have Dev Rugney there, oh. and Dev Rugney is the assistant branch manager for Northern California MUFON. Yes, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So we got MUFON over there. Probably have the local no- news crew over there. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Are you going to take pictures? Oh yeah, I always do. Uh, you know, uh, pictures, videos, the whole works. Okay, you got to send some to me. <laughs> but yeah, and I definitely post them right on my timeline. Because right? I'm like, I'll definitely. <laughs> I'm like envious. Oh. I'm like, oh, that sounds like fun and unusual. <laughs> I love that stuff. (laughs) I do. And I I like people. And I really like the UFO community a lot. Oh, me too. Me too. And cryptids. Bigfoot people. Oh, yes. I love love cryptids. I do too. Bigfoot people are so much fun. I feel like I want to go have a picnic with them, you know? And right here in Sacramento, we have a lot of cryptids. Uh, Yes, you do. I think about five. We had a Mothman sighting at the Tower Bridge in Sacramento. When? And a, a total of six people saw Mothman. Wow, really? And yeah, yeah. They claim they saw Mothman. <clears throat> and, you know, a lot of people think Mothman is a harbinger of doom, mm-hmm. but nothing bad happened. So they saw Mothman and that's it. And then um, Mothman, we... Oh, we had two dogman sightings, mm. one in Sacramento near the Capitol back in 1952. And then we had one at the Laguna Creek Wetlands yeah. uh, in 1962 in Elk Grove, California. So dogman, mothman, 
Um, there was a giant salamander seen in Laguna Creek wetlands. Interesting. And two, yeah, and two UC Davis students actually admitted that they released the salamander into the wetlands. So that case was solved. Wow. So that was, yeah, that was a cryptid. Um, a river serpent was seen in the Sacramento River. So that's four. And what's the other one? There was, oh, the wet lash. It was a water elemental at Garcia Bend in Sacramento River. What? It was like this little creature um, made of pure water wearing strange little clothes. That's looked cool. like an elf. Yeah. Had pointed ears what? and captured a fish. That's awesome. And, <laughs> yeah, and a fisherman actually saw that. Now you guys uh, also have Bigfoot, elemental. don't you? Uh, not in not in Sacramento. It's okay. too urban for Bigfoot. Gotcha. Yeah, but you have Bigfoot up in Mount Shasta, California, yeah. uh, up by Redding, uh, Red, Red Bluff, Eureka. I've been to Eureka, and they have Bigfoot statues all over the place. That's fun because yeah, that's definitely Bigfoot country. Wow. You live in a really cool area for some really cool stuff, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, October 14th, I hope, you, I hope you have lots of fun. Oh, thank you, Didi. You're welcome. And I hope you come back on Twilight Tonic sometime soon. I really enjoy talking with you. Oh, thank you, Didi. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, anytime you like the have me on the show, I would be glad to. Ah, I'd like to have you back in October for my Halloween special. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Thank you so much. And everybody check out his books on Amazon. And also, you have a hotline if you have any paranormal difficulties in oh, yeah. Sacramento. You can, call, you can call him and he'll help you. What is that number, Paul? Oh, yeah. If you're in the greater Sacramento area... Uh, or two hours out from Greater Sacramento, we'll do a personal investigation. We'll do a cleansing, um, uh, a baptism if you need it, if you have an attachment. Um, my paranormal hotline number is 916-203-7503. 916-203-7503. Just give me a call. We're open 24 hours a day. And we take the calls. And and what I really like about that too, Didi, is I get calls from other states yeah. where people tell me their stories. And they don't mind me writing an article about it. That's awesome. Like, oh, yeah. And I put those in my book, you know. So That yeah. is so cool. I got, and I hear some good stories sometimes. Oh, yeah. Well, like I said, everybody needs to check out his articles in the paranormal magazines. And all this is available. And what is your website? Um, well, they can actually uh, now I actually took down my website because mm. I actually get a lot of phone calls through my articles because I have my contact oh, phone number on cool. there yeah. and my email. But I do have my Facebook timeline and they can just uh, Google Paul Dale Roberts Facebook and you, you'll 
get there and I can direct them from there to HPI International on Facebook mm -hmm. and Absolutely. everything else. Yeah. And I, I have a Bigfoot page on there too. So, and I do very well with the LinkedIn and Facebook. So it's like, okay, I don't need this you know, website. <laughs> you know, you know, all the so social media stuff helps, you know. Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn, <laughs> I get a lot of responses on LinkedIn, I get a lot of responses on Facebook. Why do I need a website? Exactly. You know, so, yeah, well, a pleasure talking to you, Dale, and I'll talk to you in October. Fantastic. I'll throw you some Thank dates. You, Dee Dee. You're welcome. Thank you, you for having me on. Thank you. Okay, you too. Night.